This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire Pods, search for us on iTunes or check out BlueWirePods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Blue Wire. Think about Lois. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott. Dodge the eye of this national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. Welcome into episode 75 of Press Pass. I'm Kayla Anderson with my co-host Joshua Perry. This podcast brought to you by betonline.ag. Well, It was a big weekend, Joshua. For the first time in over a month, the NFL draft, virtual draft, might I add, took place. And I watched pretty much every minute of it, which a lot of it had to do with my job. But especially that first round on Thursday, I thought it went off pretty well. Um, Not a lot of technical difficulties. What was your overall thoughts on the draft? Yeah, I I was like you. Um, I watched just about every moment of it. Part of it like you said, we have to be able to talk about these things. And I know um, you you got to have the knowledge of the college football and the Tennessee Titans stuff being down there in Nashville, which is great. Um, I'm just a huge college football fan, but I'd like to see where all the Big Ten guys fall and kind of how it shakes out nationally, the whole deal. And I, I mean, like I watched every moment of it, even to the point of, you know, I was watching um, the, the coverage before it started and the coverage after it was over every day. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'll, I'll commend those guys, uh, Trey Wingo and the ESPN staff and everybody that was there um, in conjunction with NFL Network. They had probably one of the hardest jobs in media to do over the weekend. And I know you understand it. You've been in it way longer than I have. But, um, you know, Trey, obviously, first and foremost, having to um, be able to profile all of those guys without, you know, looking like he's reading notes or, you know, like just really sounding knowledgeable has got to be a hard job. I mean, there's, you know, probably over 300 prospects he's got to prepare for. And he he had every single one of them down to a T. But doing that NFL Network ESPN collab had to be um, tough from some regards because they probably each have different protocols as networks. But just in general with the virtual draft and then all those guys being in different places, um, that was probably the smoothest they could have had it. So um, big thumbs up to that TV production. They, they did an amazing job. 
Yeah, and I had also spoke with Troy Vincent, um, executive VP of um, football operations for the NFL earlier in the week, um, actually after round one, I spoke to him on Friday. And I asked him about how he thought at least the first round went. And, and, you know, he was really happy with everything. And I specifically asked him about his thoughts on how he thought the coaches and GMs handled their situations with their war rooms, obviously all being at home. And he said, look, it took a lot of time leading up to that to get them to that point because they were on edge about having to use all this technical stuff. But he goes, I was really impressed with, you know, how they ended up being able to handle all of it. So that was interesting too. I mean, and I actually enjoyed seeing them in their war rooms and you could pretty much see all the personalities of these coaches by just where they were set up. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool. You're exactly right. You see the personalities and uh, even listening to them um, talk about it in interviews, it seemed like most of them actually enjoyed it a lot more than they thought they would. And there are some aspects of doing it virtually that they would like to incorporate for um, later years, which would be kind of slick. But, um, you know, like some guys had their setups and you saw, you know, stone fireplaces kind of rustic, you know, other guys had super modern setups. Some guys, it looked like it was really, um, you know, a technological setup. And then you saw other guys that had traditional grease boards out there and just one computer screen, um, which was really cool. And then I think even from the players aspect too, like that was probably the most organic most genuine yes. that you get to see a lot of these players because I know being in the green room from what I've heard from those guys is super stressful. Um, a lot of those guys hate actually getting dressed up and wearing suits. And by the time they walk across the stage, they got sweat coming down their faces and everything else being at home, you know, dressed however you want sweatpants or whether some guys actually did get a little bit dressed up, you know, having just close family around you and kind of none of the hangers on that you would typically see for guys who are at home, I thought was really, really cool. And those are the kind of things that I'd like to see in future years. You know, I love seeing that genuine organic reaction of the biggest moment of these cats' lives. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think one more thing is, for me, you know, these kind of events allow for us to kind of get on Twitter and have some fun. And I know that sometimes I just kind of go when it comes to these things because I look at all the details that are going on, it, you know, when it comes to a live broadcast like this. And I just, I got a kick out of, you know, kind of poking some, some stabs at Roger Goodell and, and just how, <laughs> how dorky he was. I mean, you know, he's doing this draft. Oh, and, it and was he, miserable. I, he, I mean, he was miserable was, to watch. It, I mean, it was like one thing after another with him, but I guess it kept me entertained because I always had something to tweet out about Roger Goodell, whether it be, you know, the M&Ms or taking a nap on his um, love seat or his uh, recliner or just trying to pump up the crowd when he is an awful hype man. Um, it made for great Twitter chat as well. Yeah, no, he um, first off, worst hype man in the history of hype men. Um, absolutely <laughs> terrible. And second off. I think probably my my moment with him was at the end of day two. Yep. Like he was say. completely sunk yep. in to that yep. recliner. Like, I mean, it was like most of us at home were exhausted watching him. We're trying to stay up. You know, a lot of us at that point who are watching um, the third round at 11, whatever it is at night, are doing it because we're invested in it for a job or whatever. But like he didn't even try to make it look like he was trying no. to stay up. Like, he had completely thrown in the towel at that point. Yeah, I mean, he he literally did eat all those M&Ms because it completely, like, looked <laughs> like he was <laughs> he was coming down from, 
from a sugar high right there. I was like, bro, come on, get up. You get paid a lot of money. Give these give these cats some credit here. Oh man. Uh, you know, day. so it, it it made for some really fun um Twitter back and forth. But yeah, overall, um, you know, I thought it was a successful draft. The the ratings were through the roof. I know they broke records for sure on the first and second day. So um I mean at least it was good to see and proves to show like people will turn to sports when they're there. So um, that was a good thing. We want to start it off by talking about just kind of who dominated the draft. And I don't think people are going to be really surprised here, uh, but we'll, we'll start by saying the SEC alone broke its own um, NFL draft record in the first round with 15 players being selected. And I think that, that number topped the previous mark of 12 that was set back in 2013. Um, so I know like just watching that first round, I was like, okay, there's another SEC guy. There's another one. Um, when it came down to it, 40 picks in the first three rounds for that conference um, and the big number 14 alone from LSU. I know you probably weren't very surprised with this, Joshua. No. Um, and, you know, I, I, we get into this conversation, obviously I'm a big 10 guy and always champion my conference. Um, and I, I do think that the the gap isn't as wide as um, people would like to think, but the numbers obviously will tell you that the gap still exists in, in it's it's really a top end gap. Um, because as you get further down into the draft, like you start to see, you know, Big Ten and, and uh, some of these other conferences, the numbers even out, and I'll, I'll kind of talk about some of those here in a little bit, but 40 picks for the SEC in the first three rounds, like 15 players in the first round for that conference. That's where the gap comes mm-hmm. because that is all top end talent right there. Like sure. when, when LSC wins a national title, it's because they have all of those top end players. When Alabama does it, it's because they have all those top end players. When my team did it, the 2016 class. So the next year after we won the national title, we played another season that next draft we had 10 guys go yep. and all of our guys were top 120 picks. Everybody was fourth round or higher. That is the talent that we're talking about. So pulling that all together, teams that end up winning championships do it because they have yeah. top end players, first round caliber guys. And typically the teams that have been doing it are teams from the South. Most of the time, the SEC, there's Clemson, there's Ohio state that compete, but that's the reality of the situation. So um, I, I think all of this just is an exercise that's reflective of what college football is and why certain teams are better than others. Literally, when you have the best players and it shows in the draft where you have first-round selections, second-round selections, third-round selections, you're more than likely going to have a strong conference that's going to be, you know, have multiple teams that are competitive for a national title. Well, and I'm I'm going to bring up this next point, and it's maybe because I covered Ohio State and I follow these guys after. And still, to this day, I follow the guys drafted out of Ohio State and follow their careers after. So Ohio State had 10 players selected um, – was that in the first – no, that's overall. So they yeah. had 10 players overall. But here's my here's my point, Joshua, that I was going to make is that usually the players in the past several years that have been drafted by Ohio State, will you please look at their careers right now in the NFL? Right. They are all pretty successful. They have all done something at the next level. I can go back and look at some players out of Alabama, um, you know, 
and all these other SEC schools. And while some of them have great careers, I don't know if all of those guys really, I guess, transfer to the next level smoothly. Yeah, I, um, I'll, I'll talk to that point in a little bit because I, I think you're absolutely onto something. I think guys, for example, that come out of Alabama, I think their biggest issue is that they're they're beat up by the time they get to the NFL. Yeah. The way that Saban practices, the way that those guys play, the way that he wants them to play, um, the amount of reps that they take throughout the year, like those guys, their bodies are literally beat up to the point where they can't do what they need to do when they get to the league. And I think that was one thing that Urban was very smart about and one thing that now Ryan Day is carrying over is they're very mindful of reps at Ohio State. So um, practice-wise, they want to make sure that guys aren't taking too many reps. And then um, they track every single game rep. They track, you know, physical, like competitive reps. They track, you know, reps where it might not have been as physical. Like they want to understand – how much of a load is on somebody's body. Um, and I think that becomes a difference. The other thing, too, is I think um, – and Ohio State's more of a national recruiting base now, but I think being out of the Midwest, the recruiting base is a little bit different in terms of its makeup um, than if you're recruiting guys primarily from the South. And so what you get in the South is a bunch of really, really good athletes, but I don't think you get really, really good football players, whereas if you're recruiting guys out of the Midwest, Ohio, Michigan – Pennsylvania, um, guys from Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, you're getting better football players um, and not necessarily the greatest athletes. And I obviously what I'm talking about here, Ohio is a football state through and through. So these cats start playing fundamental football from the age of seven years old. In Florida, you know, they're just a bunch of athletes down there. So these guys are just, they're making plays from seven years old, but they're not playing fundamental football. Um, and so I think when you carry that over now to having standards at Ohio state where, you know, all the coaches want to go to the Ohio, the coaches clinic, because they want to hear from Luke fickle and they want to hear from Ryan day. And they want to hear from Larry Johnson, because all of these people, Luke, one of the best linebacker coaches period in terms of teaching technique and fundamentals, Ryan day, one of the best quarterback coaches in America, teaching technique and fundamentals, Larry Johnson. We don't even have to talk about his reputation. And I think that's kind of the difference there. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely think that that's a great point, And you explained it very well in terms of that. Because I know, I mean, and maybe sometime I should do this, is just to go back and say in the last three years, um, who's who's kind of elevated to the next level um, smoothly, you know, and who's having a really good career. I think that would actually be interesting to at least put up some of the top conferences against each other. Um, and what they've done in terms of production. And I did also want to add this because when I, I, I can say this, you can say this, you've played, I've been in these markets while I cover the SEC and I've, you know, covered it early on in my career and later. Um, look, football down here is king, no doubt guys. And, and clearly they, they have successful programs, but when you see that the state of Ohio had the three top cities in terms of viewership over the last three days of the draft, that says something about, for me, who loves football. Yeah. And that right there, I mean, it was Columbus, Cleveland, and Cincinnati with the highest TV ratings Yeah. for the entire weekend. That to me is mind-blowing and not the way that I ever thought they didn't like football, but when you compare it to, you know, the South and none of those places, Nashville was in there, but it wasn't like a top – you know, five. Uh, yeah. I just, I thought that said something about the state of Ohio in the passion for football. 
I, I think you're spot on. The, the word that you use, passion, I think is a great example. And like, I'll take the Detroit Lions. I think they drafted um, three Ohio State Buckeyes. But, mm-hmm. you know, like Ohio State fans are still going to cheer for them, even though they're going up to Detroit in a state that they can't stand. Um, and I think that's kind of the deal there is like, I don't know how many fan bases are actually invested in following their players' careers once they leave their school. We have obviously the Browns and the Bengals in Ohio, but Ohio State is like the pro team here. And our fans are going to follow players throughout their careers. Like they're going to sit there on a a Saturday and then talk about the guys after Ohio State's done playing, the guys that they want to watch on Sunday. You know, I'm going to turn on the Saints so I can watch Michael Thomas ball out. And then, you know, I'm going to turn on the Bengals so I can watch Billy Price and Sam Hubbard do their thing. Like that's exactly what Ohio State fans are. So um, no surprise to me, but I, I think it absolutely is indicative of the passion. Like I said, Ohio is, is, is a football state. Um, you know, Texas is a bigger state. And I know they have a great football culture there, but I would take Ohio's football culture over any other state. Yep. You know, absolutely. like we're cold weather. Folks will sit out. doesn't matter what the weather's like, you know, for a high school football game. It'll be wet and rainy. It'll be damn near snowy toward the end of the year. And high schools will still pack stadiums because it matters that much. I want to talk about this. Ohio State, 10 players drafted this year. Um, So, obviously, that's the lead in the Big Ten. But they were tied with another school, which was the University of Michigan, who also had 10 players drafted. I was going to mention that to you. We're on the same wavelength here. Yes. So, I want want to talk about this because, you know, I follow Michigan Twitter, and um, they had some really unique takes. And one of the takes was that, uh, number one, you know, the talent gap isn't that big between Ohio State and Michigan. I'll talk about that. But the other one was that um, it's more impressive. Michigan's uh, 10 draft picks are more impressive than Ohio State's, regardless of where they were drafted, because Ohio State is able to get the best players. And somebody literally said the quote, you know, I could coach Chase Young into being a, a top three NFL pick. And so Michigan had their guys go one guy in the first round, uh, one guy in the second round. So they had two guys go on the first two days, and then the rest of their eight guys were uh, fourth, uh, two fifth-round picks, and four sixth-round picks. Mm-hmm. So here's the, here's the deal, though, um, is I don't agree with the – I can coach Chase Young into a first-round thing. I, I think that's tough. But um, I started doing some investigating. So Ohio State had, uh, obviously, three first-round picks. They had – Four guys go on the second day. So that was seven guys in the top three rounds between days one and two. Michigan had two guys. Obviously, Chase Young was a, a very highly recruited player. Same thing with Jeffrey Akuda. Damon Arnett sneaks himself into the top 20 of this draft. Did you know that Damon Arnett was a three-star player coming out of high school? Yeah, no, I mean, I, t- I, I tweeted out to you and said, tell me about this guy. Yeah you know, when he was drafted, because I don't think a lot of people knew much about him, and they no. were surprised about that move. Yeah, and I mean, he was a guy who really developed and he honed in his game, and he he put the passion into it and everything else. Um, but he was a three-star player. Fast forward to day two, J.K. Dobbins goes off the board. He was a very highly recruited player. Jonah Jackson, transfer from Rutgers, was a good player when he came into Ohio State, even took his game to the next level, became an All-American player. Three-star guy coming out of high school. Then you have Malik Harrison, who was a Columbus guy. Um, he was a third-round pick. 
think round pick 98 or something like that. Three-star guy coming out of high school. And then you have Davon Hamilton, again, another Central Ohio guy, who is a three-star coming out of high school. So we had seven guys go on the first two days. One of our first-round picks was a three-star. And then three of our four guys that went on day two were three-star players. And so I, I'm really – what they, they always say, well, they're going to be better because they can recruit better players. And I would disagree because we'll even take where they had you know, a lot of their guys that went on the third day uh, were three-star players coming out of high school, and they turned them into six-round picks. I'm not trying to discredit any of that, but Ohio State was able to mold a three-star player into a first-round pick, and then three of them in the second or third-round picks, right? And then you have Donovan Peoples-Jones from Michigan, who was a five-star player, was a freshman All-American, who eventually turned into a six-round pick. There is something going on up there, and nobody's willing to admit it, but it is not a good deal. No, no, I would totally agree with you. Um, I, I mean, I just, I'm really curious as to what happens within this next year, especially because we don't know um, just what the season is going to be like. Um, but I just, I, I feel like there will be changes soon. Um, I, I don't know what those will be, but yeah, I think you're right on. Well, let me, let me tell you why there should be changes. I'm going in today. <laughs> so I think part of the reason why Donovan Peoples-Jones was a six-round player, even though he had probably the best combine out of any player, he's a freak athlete, like I said, freshman All-American, very highly recruited, is because Michigan has lacked quarterbacks. But yeah. when you're in Michigan and you can't convince people, quarterbacks to come play, when you have Donovan Peoples-Jones and you have – uh, Nico Collins, and you have Tariq Black, and you have um, the an O-line that had all four of its draft-eligible O-linemen go and get drafted this year, and you can't convince a quarterback to come there. When you were a quarterback at that school, exactly. and you are known as a quarterback coach, that is what you're known as. That's why they need to make a change, because there is not a chance that if Michigan had a, a, a quarterback who was worth a damn. And, and I'll, I'll even say, like, JT Barrett, say what you want about him. He wasn't a draftable prospect the same way that um, Shea Patterson wasn't draftable this year, but he found a way to win games, and they developed him enough that he can make some plays. Like, I'm not saying you need to go out there and you need to find a guy who's Justin Fields or you need to find a guy who is, you know, Herbert or Tua or Trevor Lawrence, but, I mean, damn. And – until they can find that guy, I don't think they have a chance at, at being a blue blood again and competing for a college football playoff and winning a Big Ten championship and beating Ohio State. There's there's just not enough horsepower. Even with getting 10 guys drafted, they're still that far behind Ohio State. And I think the quarterback would elevate everybody's game, and then everybody gets more notoriety. And then some six-round picks end up becoming fourth-round picks just based off yeah. of that. It's a chain effect for sure, and I'm gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna be as nice as you are. I'm gonna say they should be able to start drafting, or sorry, to start recruiting quarterbacks like that. If if Jim Harbaugh is all who he's made out to be with all his background, why isn't he getting those quarterbacks? Why isn't he able to go find them? Um, so for me, I don't think there is an excuse. I think they should be getting some of the top quarterbacks there um, with that program. So. We'll, we'll see what happens, um, you know, in, in the next upcoming year and, and see if things can change. But I, I just don't see his future there um, for the long term unless things start 
start changing quickly. Um, well, with currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there is nothing to bet on, but you would be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, um, games, and props to wager on from their online casino to poker, blackjack. They're bringing Vegas to you. So if you're missing the NFL, no problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL simulations um, that you can bet on. And then you could still bet on TV shows like Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, even Nathan's hot dog eating contest. So they are open 24 hours a day, all online. Just go to betonline.ag, use that promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online waging solution. So I was doing some stuff um, to, today um, on the websites here, and I was scrolling through ESPN. And there were a couple things that um, kind of stuck out on the college page. And I was going down and I saw that yesterday, Kansas um, announced that several of their coaches are taking a pay cut. Um, So Kansas Athletic Director Jeff Long, football coach Les Miles, who we all know Les Miles, um, and basketball coach Bill Self announced they are taking a 10% salary reduction over the next six months. And that, of course, is an effort to save the athletic department nearly $500,000. And look, I talked with um, MTSU longtime head coach Rick Stockstill this past week, and I asked him specifically about what he feels like it's going to be like um, if football you know, can't play a majority of its season. And he said, look, our athletic department has already taken a major hit just from not having our conference basketball tournament. He said, we've lost $500,000 just from that. He goes, I, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like if, you know, we're hit with the football season. He goes, because, you know, these major schools make millions of dollars per game. Um, we just work our butt off to get a million dollars for, you know, that one game that we go get our butt whooped by, you know, some major school. Um, to get that in our pockets to help the athletic department. And so the reality of the situation is, uh, no matter what, I mean, these these programs, and especially maybe some of these smaller um, schools, aren't they're going to take a huge hit. I thought this was, was awesome that, you know, Kansas, if this isn't a big, huge school, um, they have some big, big money coming in for basketball, obviously, but they're taking, I mean, the guys are saying, hey, we're going to take a, a reduction in our salary. I don't care what it is. At least they're coming out and doing something. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I tend to agree with that. I'm, I'm personally, uh, I'm a person who, you know, when you make as much money as some of these cats make, you know, maybe give back a little bit more, um, knowing that the university is going to take care of you and they're going to make sure you get it back in return. And, you know, um, they fund retirements and they fund life insurance and all these kinds of things that, um, you know, they, they make it, they could incentivize coaches to give back some of their salaries right now. But I think this is a step in the right direction um, for keeping athletic departments afloat. Um, I read an article in the Columbus Dispatch yesterday that was mm-hmm. really interesting, just about university finances in general. Urbana University here in Ohio has shut its doors. Uh. Students aren't coming back, period. So this graduating classes, uh, last class of students that will ever graduate there. Um, football, obviously, is shut down. And I know a lot of um, – prospects in Ohio go to Urbana to D2 school. It's very close to Columbus. Um, And so I know a lot of athletes are scrambling right now to figure out what their athletic future is going to be like. 
um, in, in their academic future for that matter, because some of these kids are on partial scholarships and they need that money um, to make sure they can advance their education. Um, it, and part of it was talking about funding. Part of it was talking about how, uh, and I know a lot of people were very bitter about schools with big endowments um, that took money from the stimulus, but you have to understand that a lot of these schools have um, federal funding standards. Um, and when their revenue decreases, the federal government has an obligation to step in in certain cases. And half of that money is supposed to go um, to student hardships too. So let's not pretend like all of the universities are getting every penny that's been given to them in the stimulus. Um, mm -hmm. Not to say that some of these schools shouldn't be a little bit more responsible, but the overarching theme I'm getting at here is um, universities in general are in a little bit of trouble right now. And uh, schools, obviously, they've lost revenue. They've had to return uh, money for room and board. They've had to return money for meal plans, um, prorated for, for how early they let out of school. And then you have schools that are doing building projects, for example, where they're updating facilities and, and whatever, whatever, whatever. Well, you have athletic departments that are doing the same thing. And a lot of them are right now having to say no we can't do these projects because we don't have any revenue. And if we don't play football, we may never get this project done because some schools don't have the donors that are going to step in and cut a check just so they can finish and hold them over. This has the chance to become a really sticky situation um, for a lot of schools that are trying to balance their overall university budgets, but especially athletic departments um, that have had to maybe overextend themselves. Now, I'm not a finance guy. I'm not an administration guy, but I think we'll start to see a shift in how universities choose to yeah. structure coaches' contracts and choose um, what sources that mm -hmm. money's coming from. Because yeah. I've heard of uh, coaches getting paid off of life insurance policies, essentially where um, the university will take out a policy when that coach expires, um, the university gets the money back. You might see more of that stuff coming up to fund yeah. retirements and everything else because this is getting sticky. Can, can I mention something too? Do you sure. think that we're going to see, I mean, look at the, the, the increase on what college coaches has been paid uh, in the past, even five years, it has increased dramatically, right? Yeah. I mean, do you feel like this is going to maybe do a little bit of reversing at least for a while? Um, you know, even if, even when this pandemic, let's say in a year, um, has kind of cooled off. I still feel like I don't know if they're going to pay coaches as much as they had been making in the past several years. It'll be interesting. Yeah, you know, there are so many reasons why the the salaries have gone up, and it's been explosive because TV's been explosive and all these other things uh, surrounding the sport. And part of the reason why they pay coaches so much is you can only spend so much on facilities, you can only spend so much on equipment, um, mm -hmm. but you can't you can't give players money directly. Um, no. and so there's no reason for them to hold the money back. So I think you start to see this thing walk itself back in terms of, um, some of these contracts they sign these guys to in, in the length of the contract too. the terms are crazy. Um, yeah. but I also think that, um, if we end up playing football in a, a scenario where maybe stadiums aren't full and you, you know, the campuses aren't totally full or whatever it is, um, you start to see a push for, uh, players starting to use their voice to say, hey, you know, like we, we see what this system really is. I, I think this changes college football in a number of ways. How drastic it might be, I don't know, but this is not going to be the same anymore. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And and like many things that um, for, for many different 
I guess, professions, it's, I think things are going to change as well. So um, it, it will be interesting to see what this whole coronavirus uh, in the future does to just little changes. So um, let's move on to our last uh, subject. And I know that you specifically um, had talked with somebody about this, but we had learned earlier, um, I think it was last week, that there was a chance that MBA facilities we're going to start opening re- regionally. And I know that they've made a little bit of change on that. I I know that the big thing is for right now, it was said that, you know, there was not going to be any college football until campuses reopened. I know Purdue, um, I heard them this morning on Good Morning America was saying something about how they are, they are planning on opening their campus on time, which will be interesting to see. And that was an interesting interview within itself. But, um, you know, NFL, you had heard, was going to, you know, possibly be doing the same thing, just like they need to all be on the same page, though, in terms of it's not going to be one facility is going to open up before the other. And I and I think that that can trickle to college, too, right? I mean, you've all got to be on the same page. To me, it doesn't make sense for one one facility to open and another not to. Yeah, and I think even like so the NFL from one of the guys I was talking to, their their mentality is like for example, um, they've got two teams in New York. Um, New York is a hot spot for the coronavirus, so um, you know it, it would be easier for Kansas City, let's say, and I don't I don't know what their situation is, so I, I'm you know I'm just throwing out a city to go back before New York would, but that would give. Kansas City a competitive yeah. advantage because they'd be in the facility. So the NFL is is looking like they're going to decide that um, they're not going to go back until everybody can say um, yeah. that they there's a controlled uh, level of risk to going back um, that they're they're able to tolerate. I think college football should get there. The NCAA should be taking measures, but um, I also know that the South sounds a little bit more eager. To, yeah. to go back to a normal semblance of life between Georgia and Texas and some of these states that are ready, Oklahoma, to um, loosen up some of their standards here. Um, whereas in the Midwest, I know that Michigan has been kicking the, the tires on it. I know Ohio has been talking about, but they're not doing anything that would be widespread or, or drastic right now. And, and so what you would hate is for it to happen conference by conference or power five does one thing while group of five does something else, et cetera. Um, they need to be on the same page and have a national plan for how they want to open universities back up. Because, you know, if, if I'm Oklahoma and I feel like I really want to win a national title this year after being in the playoffs and getting my ass whooped, uh, the amount of times that we've been there, then I might say, I might pressure the governor to say, Hey, listen, it's cool to come back and have everybody on campus. Whereas Ohio feels differently about that. So it'd be interesting to see what happens, but they, they should take the lead of the NFL uh, whenever they announce their plan to go back um, as an NFL conglomerate college football needs to do the same. Yeah. I, I think the NFL is smart in, in leading the way on this and hopefully, you know, just everybody follows in suit and especially college football, just because it, you know, these are, prof- you know, they're not professionals, they're amateurs and we've seen that they have not all had the same amount of, you know, I guess equal um, opportunity in this off season in terms of workout plans, um, in terms of equipment and all of that stuff. And so 
I just think it's a it would be a really unfair advantage if some of these these facilities opened up um, at different times because then you've got these athletes with a little bit more advantage now be able being able to use you know the facilities um, the workout equipment even getting back on meal plans and so I just I think it would be a mess if it was anything other than coming back at the same time. Um, I just, it wouldn't make any sense to me. So I I I don't think you could do it like that. Yeah. I'd be shocked if that's, if that's the case that they come back at different times. Um, but I'm kind of waiting. I mean, shouldn't they be starting to come out and at least put that statement out there? Like, Hey, you know, the NFL has announced this. We're, we're sticking with this. We're not going to open up facilities at different times. I mean, don't you think that that would be the case? I, you would think I, I'm, I'm telling you this is, and you know this. You're a very smart person. This is one of the hardest um, situations I think for for any of the experts or any of the administrators to deal with. We learn new information about this virus. It seems daily, even daily, up to this yeah. point. Um, yeah. And I, I just I, I think that everybody right now wants to be as cautious as possible with respect to being able to do the things that they want to achieve. Right. But in saying that, I think it, I think before June 1, universities are going to have to um, have some sort of plan in place. Because I think June 1st signals for a lot of football fans, you know, freshmen getting on campus, that summer term is starting, you know, the, the beat writers start putting out more content about what the team is going to look like and, you know, 14 freshmen came in the summer after 14 enrolled early, which a lot of these schools have, which is crazy. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, but <laughs> like, that's the stuff people are going to be looking forward to. And if they can't, if they can't have a plan to at least tell us what that's going to look like into the summer, I think football fans are going to start to get real, real antsy. Yeah, no, I, I would totally agree with you. And I think they're antsy as it is just kind of wanting something to happen. And it, the NFL draft was kind of a, a little tease because it seems like, OK, things are getting back on 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 track. But then again, we just we don't know what the, the future holds right now with uh, with this COVID-19 pandemic. Well, that uh, before we wrap it up, I should say, I, I did want to give you a chance. I, I did scroll through some of your Twitter over the past couple of days. First of all, uh, we wanted to say happy birthday, my friend, because Joshua celebrated a birthday on Sunday, correct? Sunday. Did I get that yes. right? Yeah. Um, now, while he is not celebrating it until he has an actual chance to do it uh, outside of his home, we did want to wish you a happy birthday. So first and foremost, um, and I know that you kind of um, had some different things you talked about on Twitter the past few days. Let's see here. I think you were talking to, was it Greg McElroy? Um, I was talking about one of the things that he said. Yeah, you were talking about the undrafted free agents, which I kind of thought was an interesting point. Yeah. In terms of, I I think, did he say that a lot of them are getting bad advice or was that you? That was was, um, one of the the Ohio State beat guys um, who said that. And I, I quoted the tweet. And kind of ex- expanded upon it, but there there were a lot of guys who left early. Um, and I'll, yeah. I'll, let me get pull the number up here. But there were a lot of guys who were early entrants in the NFL draft um, who ended up going undrafted. Right. And uh, I think personally, I think it's a shame when guys leave early and they end up going undrafted. But but 
Um, I also think it's a shame when guys stay in school um, when they when they hate being there. Um, I know guys who yeah. they hated class, they hated their coach, like everything about it was bad. Um, it didn't make sense for them to transfer and have to sit out before you know we had some of these more open transfer rules. So they leave. Um, Thirty six out of one hundred and twenty players who left early went undrafted. Okay. And and my my boy said that kids are getting bad advice. And my response to that is that. This COVID-19 situation has been hard on everybody, but it's not doing any of these cats' favors. Talking to my, my people in the NFL, OTAs are virtual. NFL rookie minicamp is gone, which we know. Um, and I was saying that I'm hearing that players aren't going to be back until all the markets can figure out how to get everybody back safely. The follow-up to that um, was my boy said that um, McElroy was saying that you'd rather be drafted this year instead of a free agent. Uh, guys that get drafted will have the first shot in uncertain times, and, and I think that tweet needs a little bit more context. Um, if you're a seventh-round pick, there is a likelihood that you would almost rather, not almost, you'd rather be undrafted than to be a draft pick because a seventh-round pick, the signing bonus money isn't anything. It, it's, I mean, for a guy who's never made money, obviously it's a lot, and for a lot of people that is a lot of money, but you're talking signing bonuses of like, you know, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars. So yeah. nothing to tease at, but um, for NFL teams, that is that doesn't guarantee you a roster spot, and you're you're only allowed when you're drafted. That's the team you go to. But when you're an undrafted free agent, you can pick your situation out of the offers that you get. So mm-hmm. if you're a cornerback and you know that um, the team that that one of the teams that offers you has an aging defensive secondary that struggled last year and a special teams core that was very bad, then you know that you have a better opportunity than going to a place where they they have a lot of money invested in their defensive secondary um, and they had a good special teams unit last year. It's going to be hard to crack that lineup. Well, now this year with COVID-19, there's going to be less opportunities to evaluate players in general, um, but especially those undrafted free agents. Those reps are few and far between for some of those guys to begin with, and they have to really earn more and more of them. They're not going to be able to do so. And now the difference between a $70,000 signing bonus being the reason why you might keep a guy you drafted in the seventh round versus cutting him for a guy who you picked up as an undrafted free agent after the draft um, is going to be a bigger difference than it would have been in previous years. So for those guys, you wish there was a way that they could go back to school because of hardship or whatever. But at the same time, you know, when you're a 20 something year old grown man, you know, you make decisions and and they're impactful upon your life and you've got to learn from them. And you have to, now you have to overcome um, and really prove your worth in a situation where it's not going to be easy to do so. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, I just, I, I just hope that in the next month or so, we can start to see a sort of a trend in terms of starting to make decisions. Um, you know, hopefully that's the trend that goes downwards uh, so that we can kind of all get on the same page in terms of sports. I just think it's still, it's so up in the air still. I mean, you were saying this is still day to day. I mean, I, I see this firsthand with my job right now. It's like every day I'm like, okay, what, what thing am I going to report on today? That's either giving us hope that it's, we're going to start things on time or this, you know, a, a sport is going to be coming back, or the opposite. So, uh, you know, I guess all we can do is continue to be patient. Um, I'm glad we had the NFL draft to kind of take things away in terms of uh, not take things away, but what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of give us like a little distraction, a little a distraction. That's exactly because I think it did it did help in that way. Uh, for one, for once, I thought something was somewhat normal. 
but we'll just have to see. But that's why we're here because we're going to continue to, you know, bring you these topics and we can always talk about things. So you're always going to have us um, make sure to join in um, in terms of giving us feedback. You can go subscribe on iTunes, just type in press pass and hit that subscribe button. You can give us a rate or review so you can say whatever you want, hopefully good stuff. And then you can follow us on um, Instagram at press pass pod, just for updates on when our podcasts come out and what our episodes are about. And then you can follow me on at Kayla Anderson TV, both Instagram and Twitter. And when you want to hear Joshua outside of this podcast, which he has a lot of things to say, they can follow you where? Twitter and Instagram at RIP underscore JEP. Um, you know, now that we've had this draft, there's going to be a lot more chatter going on and some questions being asked, uh, some more anticipatory type of situations. So I'll be uh, big tweeting here. So go ahead and holler yeah. at your boy. Well, we appreciate you guys tuning in this week. Hopefully you guys have a great week. Hang in there. Stay home. Do your part. Let's kick this thing in the booty and get this thing knocked down so we can start um, sports again here soon because I know we're just eager to get back into it. All right. Take care, guys.